you still might be wondering, so what happens to those who have died in Christ and yet now, where are they? And their bodies are buried, but indeed, as Jesus said to the thief, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So this is the place where those who have trusted in Christ wait until Christ's return. This is where their souls wait. But those who have denied God are sent to hell. So we have heaven, we have hell. These are holding places. These are not actually our final destination. Someday the believing thief will obtain his heavenly body. He will put it on. And the wicked, we're not exactly sure. Scripture does not speak to uh, the issue of whether or not the wicked will be clothed uh, with a body. Calvin doesn't think so. But what is certain is that they will suffer the just punishment of God for eternity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for the unrighteous. So those whose names are written in the book of life will obtain resurrection bodies. And Paul, having instructed the Corinthians according uh, to the resurrection of Christ and his people, the earthly body, the heavenly body, he's now in this second letter looking to set home these truths. So if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. This is the word of God and is eternally true. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. About four years ago, I purchased a contemporary Christian album by an artist named the David Crowder Band. And at the beginning, on the first track of that CD, was... Just a prelude before it got into the music, and there's just David Crowder singing this line Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Is it, have any of you heard this before? Okay. Okay, you may have heard it in a variety of ways. It showed up um, in a country song. Maybe you know Mr. Chesney's version of it, Kenny Chesney. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but uh, Taylor's nodding. You know the rest of it? No, but nobody want to go now. You know, it's got a little bit of country twang to it. So, um, but it's the same idea, right? A little bit softer touch. He doesn't say die. He said, but nobody want to go now. But this motto is found all throughout popular music. There are other artists and other artists actually wrote that song. 
But the attitude is the same. It's, I like what I'm doing now. I'm fine with this life, and so I'm going to live it up. Life is good, right? But everybody dies, so when I die, I guess I'll settle for heaven. So the implication is twofold. First, heaven, or the life to come, is not truly desirous of us. We don't really want to go there. It's not really where we want to be. And the second is that the only reason we resign ourselves to go there is because, well, we think that's where we'll go. Mr. Chesney's case, he thinks that simply presuming he'll go there will get them there. However, we should have a different attitude among us, knowing that only in Christ is salvation offered. And so through Christ, we can enter his presence and be with him forever. Okay, if we look at uh, Paul's letter again, he refers to two kinds of tents or houses. And the first is the earthly tent. This is the body. This is the body which we have. It's the flesh and blood, the skin and bones that each of us is in right now. This is our earthly body. And being called a tent or a house is therefore housing for something. We know from Genesis chapter 2 that that something is a soul. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Man was created in God's image and therefore given an eternal soul. So each of us has a body and a soul, and they're intricately knit together. But the one we're particularly aware of is our bodies, right? Uh, Take our senses, for example. Whenever you're driving down the road and... Uh, you come anywhere near some skunk roadkill, you know it, right? You get the smell, kind of want to pinch your nose. Um, but also, even when we enter a room and the temperature is not the same as what we're used to, we feel it. It's a little bit cold. It's, you're either hot, you're cold. But our senses, we're really aware of them. But our bodies don't just uh, indicate what senses we have, but also our strength or lack thereof. How many of you woke up this morning and were thoroughly refreshed from last night's sleep? Any hands? Wow, that's more than first service. Figure the first service. I don't know. You could go either way with them. Um, So many of us are depleted for rest. We're depleted of exercise and proper nutrition. And these are usually things we do to ourselves But there's another kind of problem that we have with our bodies, and that's suffering. In this sinful world, there are sicknesses and diseases, and they break down our normal bodily functions and cause us discomfort and pain and even death. And so the cause of these sufferings are from within, but there's also suffering from without. We know that there's oppression, that those who are poor are oppressed by the wealthy. We know that the innocent are murdered by the violent, we know that the Christian is persecuted by the godless. And so, Paul has actually just referenced in the prior chapter the momentary light affliction that the Corinthians are facing. He says at the beginning of the chapter 5, then, we know that in this, we know that this earthly house is then torn down. Our bodies will be broken, our senses will begin to fail us, our strength will become weary, And in one way or another, we're going to suffer. 
But Paul continues, for indeed in this house we groan. Now, after considering the frailness of our frames that I just talked about, we might think, oh, we're groaning because we're in this body, life is hard, there's disease, sickness, uh, we're weak, we're tired. But that's not uh, actually the reason. Certainly we do moan and complain about these difficulties. But he doesn't say, in this house we groan longing to be done with this pathetic body. He doesn't say longing even to leave this body and for our soul to be going to heaven. That even it isn't even enough. That's not Paul's longing. That's not his desire. He goes on in verse, four, in verse 4 to say, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So he says here that he does not want to die before Christ's return so that his soul would be unclothed. Because if he dies, his body goes into the ground and his soul goes to heaven. But rather, he wants Christ to return so that his mortal body would be instantly changed into immortal life. That's his desire. And he yearns that he would not be found naked. That is, his body, whether it be the natural body or the heavenly body, would never be separated from his, from his soul. So now, when the la- when's the last time you were walking down the hallway and you heard a deep-seated moan from another room. So you went inside to inquire, and you asked the guy, what's up? And he said, he couldn't help himself, but that he was so set on obtaining the immortal, eternal body that Christ had prepared for him so that he would live in Christ's presence forever. That ever happened to anybody? Walking down the hot? walking down the hallway, heard somebody moan. Somebody's longing, their desire was so heavenly-minded that they couldn't wait to leave, that they had learned to despise this life so that they would obtain their heavenly body. Now, I imagine uh, it's not because of the details of the scenario that you've never had this happen to you. It's not often that we think about the eternal dwelling that God has prepared for us in Christ. This isn't something that we think about daily. And in fact, we're pretty well set in the bodies we have. We're pretty comfortable, right? The church committee did a good job of picking out comfortable seats this morning. We've got comfortable clothes. The heat's on. It's about 69 degrees in here. It's all these comforts that we have surrounded ourselves with take our minds off of the soul being united with our eternal bodies in heaven forever, in God's dwelling place. So have you ever groaned? Have you ever longed? Is it indeed the regular occurrence of your life, in the regular occurrence of your life, that you find yourself longing to put on the heavenly dwelling, the heavenly dress. Now, some of you are maybe getting for the first time a brief introduction to heaven and hell and uh, bodies, uh, resurrection bodies, earthly bodies. But at the same time, that would not 
keep you from expressing a heartfelt desire to put on the heavenly body. So as David cried to write, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Now, I hope that there are some of you out there who do long for the eternal dress. And that you look forward to that day and hope that it's in your lifetime that Christ come back. We know that the spirit and the bride of Christ say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We know that they long for his presence and his dwelling place to come and reside here for his kingdom to come. Lord, your will be done. This is the prayer that Jesus gives us. And so there are some of you who long for that day. And Paul says that that's normal. In fact, he says that that's indeed how we should live our lives. He says indeed twice to bring home the point. But we need mercy, right? Some of us aren't thinking about the heavenly dwelling. And so God has given us mercy. And Calvin, John Calvin describes this in a chapter from uh, his Institutes of the Christian Religion. After giving a significant list of all the earthly blessings that we cling too tight to, in order to draw us away, he concludes with this remark. For we must hold that our mind never rises seriously to desire and aspire after the future until it has learned to despise the present life. So is this not the case with us? Do we not seek the treasures of Egypt with Moses left behind? Do we go about as in a foreign land in this place, seeking a heavy one, heavenly one, seeking a better country as Abraham did? So let's dwell for a moment on how we might break our bondage to this world. In this tent, we experience any amount of pain and suffering. You ever wonder why we get headaches? Anybody ever asked that question? Maybe you were... Adam asked that question. He's a doctor, so. Um, if you were able to wonder why we get headaches, it'd be a good question. Sometimes you get a headache, you've got a big test in the morning, and you've been studying and spending the time that you need to prepare, and you've been faithful in your work, and yet you get a headache, and you're like, wait a second, aren't I doing something good? Aren't I trying to be faithful with my work? God, why is this happening? Or maybe you've got a big project at work, or maybe the kids um, are being difficult, and so you have the pain and the throbbing. I wonder, God, I'm trying to raise my children. I'm trying to be faithful with them and to teach them your ways, and yet I feel this weakness in my body. For some of you, it's worse than that. Maybe it's the pain in your back that you feel every morning when you wake up. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe you have your loved one. You or a loved one has recently faced the deterioration of your body through cancer. And so what's your hope in these things? Do you just try to tell yourself, well, God's good. He works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to And does that work? Does this repeating that over? Or does trying to tell yourself, well, I just need to trust God more. I just need to trust God more. Your headache's still there, right? It doesn't go away. In some cases, God is merciful and it does. But for the most part, you've still got the headache. So the purpose of God in affliction, 
of our pain is twofold. First, that God would bring low and humiliate you in your body. You're immortal. You're a mortal. You're a man. You're nothing but dust. Go outside and you can find where you came from. Your weaknesses are experienced one after another in this tent. And then, after recognizing how lowly your body actually is, your mind is to, your mind and heart is to then look forward and see that one day it will obtain an eternal one without pain or suffering. In the new Jerusalem, there will be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so this is God, God's intent in your affliction, in your pain, that you'd forget about this body, that you would learn to despise this life, and that you would look, out, look ahead to the body that God will give you, that you'll have forever. So do you want that? Do you groan? Do you long? Do you desire? Do you yearn after the heavenly dwelling with God? Because you feel in yourself the brokenness of this life. You don't turn immediately to the medicine cabinet and think, oh, pop in a pill will take care of it. But that you actually look to God and say, Lord, I know that you have prepared a place for me. That you have gone before me. So that in this body, in this tent, you would begin to look ahead and anticipate the life to come. Maybe for you it's not um, the pain, but maybe even in your old age you've gotten used to it and you're advanced in years and you're facing death very soon. And so God, in His mercy, is trying to calm your fears He's trying to still your heart before Him. And though you've had many friends and family and children and grandchildren who are precious to you, you begin to think of heaven and the delights therein, that one day God will bring all His family together. And that though you've been in this body a long time, you can finally begin to put it aside and begin to see and look ahead to the eternal dwelling which you'll have forever. You'll never leave it. And God will clothe you for eternity. Some of you maybe have been beset by illnesses and others face death. But what about injustice? Some of you have been uh, falsely accused. Some of you have been slandered. Some of you have had things stolen from you. I'm sure if I gave you a few moments, uh, you could all recall a number of these things that have happened to you. You begin to recount the wrongs. Our memories are good at keeping track of these things. And yet again, this is made so that you wouldn't trust and look to complete justice here in this time on this earth. It's so that you wouldn't seek lasting peace here It's so that you would seek it elsewhere. It's so that you would seek it when God gives you a new body and you can enter His presence where He has already made all things new and where He's already established justice. 
Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We know that at the judgment seat of Christ, all deeds, whether good or bad, will be rewarded or punished. And that divine justice will not help it, will not happen until that time. The Apostle John says for the righteous, God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By this I understand that after God has carried out his justice, he will come and comfort those who have been afflicted in this life unjustly. Isaiah was given these words, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Now all these things are, are wonderful, that we would put off pain and that there would be the end of death, seeing would have it would have its sting no more, that divine justice would be executed, but if left to these things, heaven still wouldn't be desirable enough for us. Because the primary reason we ought to long for our heavenly dwelling is that we have a building from God. Revelation 21, 1-3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And this has been God's intention all along. It was the case with Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the garden. After their rebellion and removal, God then dwelt with the people, In a tabernacle, he sojourned with them and then established the temple. And then Jesus Christ came and lived among us. Jeremiah had promised that I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is fulfilled as Christ brings his kingdom. We're coming up on our annual meeting and we'll have wonderful fellowship and food in that time. I'm looking forward to the pumpkin pies that will be assorted on the dessert table at this time of year. And we'll have food and fellowship and Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among them. And we look forward to that time. But even that is just a slight, small taste of what it will be like in heaven with Christ. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. Augustine says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find the rest in thee. And so until we put on our immortal bodies, we look to that day when we will be with Christ. We'll be with him forever We'll never be separate. Now we see dimly, but then we'll see him face to face. We'll come before him in worship and glory and we'll praise and we'll exalt Christ and forever we'll be at his throne. We'll give him glory and praise and honor and all things will be his. He'll establish his kingdom. He'll rule forever. And forever we'll cast our crowns before him. And Jesus will be glorified And we will give him all of our pure worship. We try now, we do our best, 
but then we'll be able to give Jesus all the glory and honor that he deserves. He is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. They cry over and over again. Worthy is the lamb. But Paul says, now we're absent from the Lord. And so in being absent, we still yet make it our aim to please him here. And now we make it our ambition, our goal. We know what Paul means by this from Romans 8. Romans 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And by live, he means forever. This is what Christians throughout the ages have called mortification. It means that we kill our sin, that we die to our sin, that though when we were in Egypt, we were enslaved to sin, we were in bondage as God is bringing us in the wilderness in this time, we're so tempted to look back and think, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. They had onions and fish and garlic. Isn't that amazing? Onions. And yet this is the case of our hearts. That we do look back to where Jesus has brought us out of. See, let us go back to think about all I can buy with my money. We think about before we were in Christ. We think about the things that we did with ourselves. The way we spent our money. The way we, we spent our time. We want to go back to that place. We're so tempted to. But this is mortification. To put to death those things which God has brought us out of. We're in the wilderness. We're not in the promised land yet. But we still seek to put to death those desires to go back to Egypt. Even in the wilderness, the spirit and the bride say, come to Jesus. There is an eternal judgment. It is coming. All men, every single one of you, will face God for eternity. You will all come before him. You will give an account of every deed, everything that you have ever done, whether in secret, whether known. And you will be judged according to what you have done, whether good or bad. And so in this life, you make it your aim, your ambition to please God, so that on that day, you will be found in Christ, having an obedience given by Him, a righteousness that is His, yet worked in you by the Spirit, which we have as our pledge. And so what will you do now with this time? We're all here. We're not with the Lord yet. Is it true everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go to hell? That's true. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And we find in this life that we must die. Put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we might live to Christ and be with Him forever. Please pray with me.